0: It is good to be with you this morning. It's good to have our our visitors with us this morning, including our special guests from Arnold, Missouri. We're certainly thankful you're here. We've been looking forward to this. We know you're going to be a tremendous help to us. I have three pages of notes this morning. Usually I have six or seven. How much y'all want to bet I can still turn it into an hour sermon? Last couple sermons I know have been quite long. This one's going to be shorter, i pretty sure, pretty sure. 2 Peter 3, verse 6. If you want to be turning there, we're going to look at that in just a moment. 2 Peter 3, verse 6. We mentioned in Bible class this morning, we're going to intertwine a very important topic into our VBS this year. In addition to studying all the different spiritual lessons that we can learn from Noah, from the flood, from the world during that time. In addition to studying all those things, we're also going to intertwine the Christian evidences, the apologetics aspect of the lesson material in our VBS this year. I want us to look at 2 Peter 3, verse 6. It's going to serve as our jumping off point for today. And for this particular verse, I'm going to look at the King James Version. 2 Peter 3, verse 6, says, "...whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished." Now, this is an obvious reference to the flood of Noah's day, and we will be talking about that extensively this week. We want to notice 2 Peter chapter 3, first of all this morning, the text, and we're not going to read all of this. I've already told you this is going to be a shorter sermon than what you've had recently. So we're not going to read 2 Peter chapter 3 in its entirety. In fact, pretty soon, we're in the general epistles. On Sunday nights, we're going to be discussing this chapter. I think we're only a chapter away from it. So we will cover this text in its entirety at a later date, but not this morning. I know everybody's excited. I know uh, the folks from Arnold, Missouri are excited to get to the lunch that we've got prepared for them. And I know everybody's excited to get the finishing touches on the VBS. Well, I do want to make some highlights, though, from 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, chapters 2 and 3 of this Peter's second epistle is dealing with, if anybody can remember from our study last Sunday night, false teachers. You remember in the first chapter, he's dealing with what true Christianity looks like. Chapters 2 and 3... He's looking at a contrast, comparing true Christianity and contrasting it with false teachers. And basically, we made this point last Sunday night, there have always been false teachers. There will always be false teachers. That is just a fact. Well, this is going to continue to be the case to the end of the world. Speaking of the end of the world, Peter talks about the end of of the world a lot in this Second Peter chapter 3. And basically, Peter's going to make a comparison in this chapter between the first destruction of the world, which occurred in the flood, and the second destruction of the world, which will come on the last day, which is yet future, which will come when Jesus returns in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and do not obey His gospel. So, what jumps out at you in this comparison that Peter makes in 2 Peter chapter 3? Again, the comparison is we had the first end of the world, the flood. We have the second end of the world, yet future, but will come one day when Jesus returns in flaming fire, taking vengeance. Number one, what should be jumping out to you, hopefully, is that the judgment day, the end of the world,
1: is coming. It is a fact, and we need to prepare for it. But number two,
0: it should jump out to us that Peter refers to the events of the flood, that is, this first destruction of the world. He refers to it as historical fact. This is a fact. The, the world that then was, was destroyed by a global flood. This is unquestioned in the Bible. It's not just the stuff of legend, like the atheist would allege. If we undermine the historical events of the Flood, if we undermine the historical events of the Tower of Babel, if we undermine the historical events of the creation, If we undermine all these things that are in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, we undermine the complete Word of God. We must accept the facts that are presented to us in the Bible. We must believe in them if we're going to be true New Testament Christians. Peter refers to the flood as history. Jesus also referred to it as history.
1: Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. Jesus says this, For as in the days before the
0: flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came, and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus Christ says that the coming of the Son of Man is going to be sudden. There are going to be people eating and drinking and being married, having fun. They're, they're getting married. They're going
1: about their day-to-day lives. And just like that, the Son of Man will return. So that brings us to the attitude of those of the world that then was. We just read that
0: the wicked people of that world, the pre-flood world, which quickly became the flood world, those wicked people were eating and drinking, and being, married and being married, they were living their life. And we know from the historical account in Genesis chapter 6 and following that all of them were wicked, with the exception
1: of Noah and Noah's family. They were concerned with the things of this life. They were not concerned with the things of the next. And just like that, this life was gone for them. Matthew 24, verses 40 through 44, goes on to say, Then two men
0: will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left.
1: we need to understand that the attitude of these careless souls in the world that then was, we need to understand this attitude got them in trouble. And this attitude doomed them for all of eternity. I want to ask you this this morning. Is the attitude today all that different? Other texts that refer to this sudden coming
0: of the Son of Man, the sudden coming of the Son of God, this sudden coming of the end of the world, other texts refer to it as being like a thief in the night. Least expected. You don't expect a thief to come in broad daylight. When there are people out and about, you expect him to come
1: at night when everybody's asleep. No one's stirring, not even a mouse. And the thief comes. And many, many
0: people will be completely unexpecting the coming of Christ. Other passages say in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last
1: trumpet. And so we have to be ready. Will we be ready? if we have the attitude of the people of the world that then was. Now,
0: I pray and I hope and and I look and see a lot of people in this auditorium, I believe they've got a good attitude. I see a lot of people here this morning who are here for the right reason.
1: They're doing their best effort to live a faithful Christian life. And we have confidence in this word that if we're doing that, we're going to be just fine on that day. But it could be the case that there are a few in this audience who are not ready and will not be ready on that day. And if we expand our
0: view for just a moment, we look outside the walls of this building, I can assure you there are many
1: souls who are not ready for that day. And we ask ourselves do we care about those souls? You never mentioned him to me. That song may haunt some people on the day of judgment. It haunts me when I sing it. And there's a reason for that. That song
0: was written so that we might understand the sense of urgency that is. That the world that is, is a world that is hurling off the edge of a metaphorical cliff, which is destruction,
1: which is going to be at the end of the world. The world that then was, is not that much different than the world that now is. There are so many souls, so many souls who are dangling off
0: the edge of that
1: metaphorical cliff. And we must ask ourselves if we care about those souls. I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 6. And let's just see a, a, a brief overview of the world that then was. Genesis chapter 6,
0: we want to read quickly and we want to start in verse number 1 and we want to go down to verse number 14. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God... Saw the daughters of men. Lots of commentators try to figure out exactly what that means. Could be the case that it simply means the daughters, or the the sons rather of God, that is faithful sons, married unfaithful daughters, the daughters of men. A lot of commentators think that's what it means. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But I put that forth for your consideration. But regardless, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. Incidentally, that is a view of the patience and the long suffering of God. He's giving them time. It's not like God is just bringing it immediately. He does do that sometimes in the Bible, though. I think he makes strong points when he does that. I think of Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10. I think of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, other examples such as that. But he's giving them time. God is long-suffering.
1: He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so his days will be 120.
0: There were giants in the earth on those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I see a whole lot of evil going on today. I don't know if I see people thinking about evil continually, nonstop, and that's all they can think.
1: We've got a ways to go before it gets this bad. Their thoughts of their heart were on evil
0: continually, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the
1: air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse number 8 one of the most important verses
0: in the early portions of the book of Genesis, verse number 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And thus sets a precedent early on that we can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. We find in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Noah being warned of the things that not yet were, what did he do? He built an ark, didn't he? He responded to his faith in obedience to God, and what does he do? He finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way. On the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And he goes on and he includes many more very specific, detailed instructions. He says, build this ark. Here's the pattern for that. Here is the instructions, the blueprint. Take it and build it. You've got
1: plenty of time and get on this ark because it's coming. If you're here today, the same
0: essential message is true for you. If you're not on the ark, you need to get on it.
1: In this case, the type and the antitype is ark and the Lord's church. If you're not on the ark, you need to get on the ark. You need to be in Christ. We'll talk about how you do that in just a moment. Verses 15 and following. We have
0: these very specific instructions, in verse number 22 tells us this,
1: Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. We mentioned Hebrews eleven seven. 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of the
0: things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to, or by, faith. Let's look back at 2 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read verses
1: 3 through 13. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 13. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 13. Knowing this first, that scoffers
0: will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is this promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know what they're saying? These scoffers are saying, I don't see Him. Here we are 2,000 years approximately after the cross. Where is He? He's not
1: coming. And the very people who say that will one day bend the knee and bow to Him. On the day of judgment. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens
0: were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished. Being flooded with
1: water, there's a reference. This is that first destruction, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by
0: the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter says, "Look, you know what's preserving this wor- this word this world? the Word of God." At a moment, God can proclaim this word. He can say,
1: enough is enough. I've seen enough. And he can call those angels. He can say to his son, go get my church. Bring them home. And destroy it. Destroy it with fire. I've had enough. And the only
0: thing keeping God from doing that at this moment is the fact that He has not proclaimed that word yet, and He's long-suffering, He's patient, He's waiting. He wants as many
1: souls as possible to be saved. He's given us that opportunity to be saved. Yes, the day is coming when this day of fire that is being
0: reserved for the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men will come. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God doesn't look at time the same way we do. We ever begin to be tempted to think, well, it's been 2,000 years since the cross, maybe He's not coming we ever get tempted to think like that, we need to remember this verse.
1: God doesn't look at time the way we do. Why? Because we're bound by time, and He's not. He's eternal. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise.
0: God didn't forget about His promise. God hasn't forgotten that He has said, this day will come. No, He's not slack concerning that promise, as some men count. Slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that
1: any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting. And in this time that He's waiting, He's giving us opportunity so that we can come to repentance. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in the
0: which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will, m- will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it, will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Did you know that, that couple, those couple of verses is teaching that we are looking for and we are hastening that day? I don't know about you, but I don't normally look forward to something being burned up. But Christians can. Because that burning up's not going to affect us. It's going to affect the wicked world around us. And there's something to that we need to understand. God's going to punish.
1: And he says in his word that vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. We need to remember that. Therefore, back to verse 11, since
0: all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's a lot of people mixed up on the exact meaning of that, it's real simple. We're going to a better
1: place. We're headed to heaven, and it's so much better than anything we see today. A couple more passages, and the lesson will be yours. The lesson will be mine. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned,
0: but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of only eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward live ungodly. These are our examples of how God will one day deal with the ungodly. That righteous man, uh, back up to verse 7, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment.
1: God says He will deliver the righteous and He will punish the ungodly. Finally, flip back to 1 Peter. 1st Peter chapter 3 1st Peter chapter 3
0: verses 18 through 22 As Peter again reflects on these historical events known as the flood notice what he says beginning in verse number 18 for Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. And then he goes back to this historical event. When once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. We talked about it a moment ago. There is a type-antitype. There is uh, this ark that saved them, there is this water that saved them as it whelmed over the wicked ones in that area, and there was safety in that ark. Antitype is this, there's safety in the church. And how are you added to the
1: church? By water. The waters of baptism. There is also in any type which now saves us,
0: baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, not taking a bath, that's completely missing the point. But the answer of a good conscience toward God, that's what it is. Upon hearing the preaching, the proclaiming of the gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ died for us.
1: He resurrected, He rose again. He ascended to the throne in heaven. Upon hearing that good news, We understand that we are to be baptized into him. We are to put
0: on Christ. We are to bury that old man of sin, and we are to rise again to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, Colossians chapter 2, many other passages.
1: The antitype
0: which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. When you hear that preached, your conscience tells you, I need to be baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27.
1: Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that made it possible. Jesus and what He did for us.
0: Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Guess what?
1: If those angels are subject to Him, guess who else is subject to Him? You. And me, You're subject to the Lord's call this
0: morning. If you have never obeyed His gospel, you have opportunity to do that this very moment. That'll be one of the most important things we accomplish today, if you've never done that. We'll take that time. We'll be glad to do it, to help you
1: put on Christ. The Lord will add you to His church, where the saved are. The ark, if you will
0: do that if you've never done. If you need to come for any other reason, we ask that you please come as together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has
1: helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.